0: Chapter Six of Cousin Betty by Honoré de Balzac, translated by James Waring. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peery. Chapter Six. At seven o'clock, the Baron, seeing his brother, his son, the Baroness, and Hortense all engaged at whist, went off to applaud his mistress at the opera, taking with him Lisbeth Fisher, who lived in the Rue du Doyenné and who always made an excuse of the solitude of that deserted quarter to take herself off as soon as dinner was over. Parisians will all admit that the old maid's prudence was but rational. The existence of the maze of houses under the wing of the old Louvre is one of those protests against obvious good sense which Frenchmen love, that Europe may reassure itself as to the quantum of brains they are known to have, and not be too much alarmed perhaps without knowing it this reveals some profound political idea it will surely not be a work of supererogation to describe this part of paris as it is even now when we could hardly expect its survival and our grandsons who will no doubt see the louvre finished may refuse to believe that such a relic of barbarism should have survived for six-and-thirty years in the heart of paris and in the face of the palace where three dynasties of kings have received during those thirty-six years the élite of france and of europe between the little gate leading to the bridge of the carousel and the rue du every everyone having come to paris were it but for a few days must have seen a dozen of houses with a decayed frontage where the dejected owners have attempted no repairs the remains of an old block of buildings of which the destruction was begun at the time when napoleon determined to complete the louvre this street and the blind alley known as the impasse du Doyenne are the only passages into this gloomy and forsaken block inhabited perhaps by ghosts for there never is anybody to be seen the pavement is much below the footway of the rue du Musée, on a level with that of the rue froidmanteau thus half-sunken by the raising of the soil these houses are also wrapped in the perpetual shadow cast by the lofty buildings of the louvre darkened on that side by the northern blast darkness silence an icy chill and the cavernous depth of the soil combine to make these houses a kind of crypt tombs of the living as we drive in a hackney-cab past this dead alive spot and chance to look down the little rue du doyenne a shudder freezes the soul and we wonder who can lie there and what things may be done there at night at an hour when the alley is a cut-throat pit and the vices of paris run riot there under the cloak of night this question frightful in itself becomes appalling when we note that these dwelling-houses are shut in on the side towards the rue de richelieu by marshy ground by a sea of tumbled paving-stones between them and the tuileries by little garden plots and suspicious-looking hovels on the side of the great galleries and by a desert of building-stone and old rubbish on the side towards the old louvre henri the third and his favorites in search of their trunk hose and marguerite's lovers in search of their heads must dance sarabands by moonlight in this wilderness overlooked by the roof of a chapel still standing there as if to prove that the catholic religion so deeply rooted in france survives all else for forty years now has the louvre been crying out by every gap in these damaged walls by every yawning window rid me of these warts upon my face this cut-throat lane has no doubt been regarded as useful and has been thought necessary as symbolizing in the heart of paris the intimate connection between poverty and the splendour that is characteristic of the queen of cities and indeed these chill ruins among which the legitimist newspaper contracted the disease it is dying of the abominable hovels of the rue du musee and the hoarding appropriated by the shop-stalls that flourish there will perhaps live longer and more prosperously than three successive dynasties in 1823, the low rents in these already condemned houses had tempted Lisbeth Fisher to settle there, notwithstanding the necessity imposed upon her by the state of the neighbourhood to get home before nightfall. This necessity, however, was in accordance with the country habits she retained, of rising and going to bed with the sun, an arrangement which saves country-folk considerable sums in lights and fuel she lived in one of the houses which since the demolition of the famous hotel cambaceres command a view of the square just as baron hulot set his wife's cousin down at the door of this house saying good-night cousin an elegant-looking woman young small slender pretty beautifully dressed and redolent of some delicate perfume passed between the wall and the carriage to go in this lady without any premeditation glanced up at the baron merely to see the lodger's cousin and the libertine at once felt the swift impression which all parisians know on meeting a pretty woman realizing as entomologists have it their desiderata so he waited to put on one of his gloves with judicious deliberation before getting into the carriage again to give himself an excuse for allowing his eye to follow the young woman whose skirts were pleasingly set out by something else than these odious and elusive crinoline bustles that said he to himself is a nice little person whose happiness i should like to provide for as she would certainly secure mine when the unknown fair had gone into the hall at the foot of the stairs going up to the front rooms she glanced at the gate out of the corner of her eye without precisely looking round and she could see the baron riveted to the spot in admiration consumed by curiosity and desire this is to every parisian woman a sort of flower which she smells at with delight if she meets it on her way nay certain women though faithful to their duties pretty and virtuous come home much put out if they have failed to call such a posy in the course of their walk the lady ran upstairs and in a moment a window on the second floor was thrown open and she appeared at it but accompanied by a man whose bald head and somewhat scowling looks announced him as her husband if they aren't sharp and ingenious the cunning jades thought the baron she does that to show me where she lives but this is getting rather warm especially for this part of paris we must mind what we are at as he got into the milord, he looked up, and the lady and the husband hastily vanished, as though the baron's face had affected them like the mythological head of Medusa. It would seem that they know me, thought the baron. That would account for everything. As the carriage went up the Rue du Musée, he leaned forward to see the lady again, and in fact she was again at the window. Ashamed of being caught gazing at the hood under which her admirer was sitting the unknown started back at once Nanny shall tell me who it is said the baron to himself The sight of the government official had as will be seen made a deep impression on this couple Why it is baron Hulot the chief of the department to which my office belongs exclaimed the husband as he left the window well marneffe the old maid on the third floor at the back of the courtyard who lives with that young man is his cousin is it not odd that we should never have known that till today, and now find it out by chance mademoiselle fischer living with a young man repeated the husband that is porter's gossip do not speak so lightly of the cousin of a councillor of state who can blow hot and cold in the office as he pleases now come to dinner i have been waiting for you since four o'clock pretty very pretty madame marneffe the natural daughter of comte montcornet one of napoleon's most famous officers had on the strength of a marriage portion of twenty thousand francs found a husband in an inferior official at the war office through the interest of the famous lieutenant-general made marshal of france six months before his death this quill-driver had risen to unhoped-for dignity as head clerk of his office but just as he was to be promoted to be deputy chief the marshal's death had cut off marneffe's ambitions and his wife's at the root the very small salary enjoyed by sieur marneffe had compelled the couple to economize in the matter of rent for in his hands mademoiselle valerie fortin's fortune had already melted away partly in paying his debts and partly in the purchase of necessaries for furnishing a house but chiefly in gratifying the requirements of a pretty young wife accustomed in her mother's house to luxuries she did not choose to dispense with the situation of the rue du Doyenné, within easy distance of the war office and the gay part of paris smiled on monsieur and madame marneffe and for the last four years they had dwelt under the same roof as lisbeth Fisher monsieur jean paul stanislas marneffe was one of the class of employees who escape sheer brutishness by the kind of power that comes of depravity the small lean creature with thin hair and a starved beard an unwholesome pasty face worn rather than wrinkled with red-lidded eyes harnessed with spectacles shuffling in his gait and yet meaner in his appearance realized the type of man that any one would conceive of as likely to be placed in the dock for an offence against decency the rooms inhabited by this couple had the illusory appearance of sham luxury seen in many paris homes and typical of a certain class of household in the drawing-room the furniture covered with shabby cotton velvet the plaster statuettes pretending to be florentine bronze the clumsy cast chandelier merely lacquered with cheap glass saucers the carpet whose small cost was accounted for in advancing life by the quality of cotton used in the manufacture now visible to the naked eye everything down to the curtains which plainly showed that worsted damask has not three years of prime, proclaimed poverty as loudly as a beggar in rags at a church door the dining-room badly kept by a single servant had the sickening aspect of a country inn everything looked greasy and unclean monsieur's room very like a schoolboy's furnished with the bed and fittings remaining from his bachelor days as shabby and worn as he was dusted perhaps once a week that horrible room where everything was in a litter with old socks hanging over the horsehair seated chairs the pattern outlined in dust was that of a man to whom home is a matter of indifference who lives out-of-doors gambling in cafés or elsewhere madame's room was an exception to the squalid slovenliness that disgraced the living-rooms where the curtains were yellow with smoke and dust and where the child evidently left to himself littered every spot with his toys valerie's room and dressing-room were situated in the part of the house which on one side of the courtyard joined the front half looking out on the street to the wing forming the inner side of the court backing against the adjoining property handsomely hung with chintz furnished with rosewood and thickly carpeted they proclaimed themselves as belonging to a pretty woman and indeed suggested the kept mistress a clock in the fashionable style stood on the velvet-covered mantelpiece there was a nicely fitted cabinet and the chinese flower-stands were handsomely filled the bed the toilet-table the wardrobe with its mirror the little sofa and all the ladies frippery bore the stamp of fashion or caprice though everything was quite third-rate as to elegance or quality and nothing was absolutely newer than three years old a dandy would have had no fault to find but that the taste of all this luxury was commonplace art and the distinction that comes of the choice of things that taste assimilates was entirely wanting a doctor of social science would have detected a lover in two or three specimens of costly trumpery which could only have come there through that demigod always absent but always present if the lady is married the dinner four hours behind time to which the husband wife and child sat down betrayed the financial straits in which the household found itself for the table is the surest thermometer for gauging the income of a Parisian family. Vegetable soup, made with the water haricot beans had been boiled in, a piece of stewed veal and potatoes sodden with water by way of gravy, a dish of haricot beans and cheap cherries, served and eaten in cracked plates and dishes, with the dull-looking and dull-sounding forks of German silver. Was this a banquet worthy of this pretty young woman? The baron would have wept, could he have seen it. The dingy decanters could not disguise the vile hue of wine bought by the pint at the nearest wine-shop. The table-napkins had seen a week's use. In short, everything betrayed undignified penury, and the equal indifference of the husband and wife to the decencies of home the most superficial observer on seeing them would have said that these two beings had come to the stage when the necessity of living had prepared them for any kind of dishonor that might bring luck to them valerie's first words to her husband will explain the delay that had postponed the dinner by the not disinterested devotion of the cook samanon will only take your bills at fifty per cent and insists on a lien on your salary as security so poverty still unconfessed in the house of the superior official and hidden under a stipend of twenty-four thousand francs irrespective of presents had reached its lowest stage in that of the clerk you have caught on with the chief said the man looking at his wife I rather think so replied she understanding the full meaning of his slang expression what is to become of us marneffe went on the landlord will be down on us tomorrow and to think of your father dying without making a will on my honor these men of the empire all think themselves as immortal as their emperor poor father said she i was his only child and he was very fond of me the countess probably burned the will how could he forget me when he used to give us as much as three or four thousand-franc notes at once from time to time we owe four quarters rent fifteen hundred francs is the furniture worth so much that is the question as shakespeare says now good-bye ducky said valerie who had only eaten a few mouthfuls of the veal from which the maid had extracted all the gravy for a brave soldier just home from algiers great evils demand heroic remedies valerie where are you off to cried marneffe standing between his wife and the door i am going to see the landlord she replied arranging her ringlets under her smart bonnet you had better try to make friends with that old maid if she really is your chief's cousin the ignorance in which the dwellers under one roof can exist as to the social position of their fellow-lodgers is a permanent fact which as much as any other shows what the rush of paris life is still it is easily conceivable that a clerk who goes early every morning to his office comes home only to dinner and spends every evening out and a woman swallowed up in a round of pleasures should know nothing of an old maid living on the third floor beyond the courtyard of the house they dwell in especially when she lives as mademoiselle fisher did up in the morning before any one else lisbeth went out to buy her bread milk and live charcoal never speaking to any one and she went to bed with the sun she never had a letter or a visitor nor chatted with her neighbors here was one of those anonymous entomological existences such as are to be met with in many large tenements where at the end of four years you unexpectedly learn that up on the fourth floor there is an old man lodging who knew voltaire pilatre de beaujean Marcel, Mollet, Sophie Arnould, Franklin, and Robespierre. What Monsieur and Madame Marneffe had just said concerning Lisbeth Fisher, they had come to know in consequence partly of the loneliness of the neighbourhood, and of the alliance to which their necessities had led between them and the doorkeepers, whose good will was too important to them not to have been carefully encouraged now the old maid's pride silence and reserve had engendered in the porter and his wife the exaggerated respect and cold civility which betrayed the unconfessed annoyance of an inferior also the porter thought himself in all essentials the equal of any lodger whose rent was no more than two hundred and fifty francs cousin betty's confidences to hortense were true and it is evident that the porter's wife might be very likely to slander mademoiselle fischer in her intimate gossip with the Marnets while only intending to tell tales when lisbeth had taken her candle from the hands of worthy madame olivier the portress she looked up to see whether the windows of the garret over her own rooms were lighted up at that hour even in july it was so dark within the courtyard that the old maid could not get to bed without a light Oh, you may be quite easy. Monsieur Steinbach is in his room. He has not been out even, said Madame Olivier, with meaning. Lisbeth made no reply. She was still a peasant, in so far that she was indifferent to the gossip of persons unconnected with her. Just as a peasant sees nothing beyond his village, she cared for nobody's opinion outside the little circle in which she lived. So she boldly went up, not to her own room, but to the garret and this is why at dessert she had filled her bag with fruit and sweets for her lover and she went to give them to him exactly as an old lady brings home a biscuit for her dog she found the hero of hortense's dreams working by the light of a small lamp of which the light was intensified by the use of a bottle of water as a lens a pale young man seated at a workman's bench covered with a modeler's tools wax chisels rough-hewn stone and bronze castings he wore a blouse and had in his hand a little group in red wax which he gazed at like a poet absorbed in his labours here wenceslas see what i have brought you said she laying her handkerchief on a corner of the table then she carefully took the sweetmeats and fruit out of her bag you are very kind mademoiselle replied the exile in melancholy tones it will do you good poor boy you get feverish by working so hard you are not born to such a rough life wenceslas steinbach looked at her with a bewildered air eat come eat said she sharply instead of looking at me as you do at one of your images when you are satisfied with it on being thus smacked with words the young man seemed less puzzled for this indeed was the female mentor whose tender moods were always a surprise to him so much more accustomed was he to be scolded though Steinbach was nine and twenty like many fair men he looked five or six years younger and seeing his youth though its freshness had faded under the fatigue and stress of life in exile by the side of that dry hard face it seemed as though nature had blundered in the distribution of sex he rose and threw himself into a deep chair of louis the fifteenth pattern covered with yellow utrecht velvet as if to rest himself the old maid took a green gauge and offered it to him thank you said he taking the plum are you tired said she giving him another i am not tired with work but tired of life said he what absurd notions you have she exclaimed with some annoyance have you not had a good genius to keep an eye on you She said offering him the sweetmeats and watching him with pleasure as he ate them all You see I thought of you when dining with my cousin I know said he with a look at Lisbeth that was at once affectionate and plaintive But for you I should long since have ceased to live But my dear lady artists require relaxation ah there we come to the point cried she interrupting him her hands on her hips and her flashing eyes fixed on him you want to go wasting your health in the vile resorts of paris like so many artisans who end by dying in the workhouse no no make a fortune and then when you have money in the funds you may amuse yourself child then you will have enough to pay for the doctor and for your pleasure libertine that you are steinbach on receiving this broadside with an accompaniment of looks that pierced him like a magnetic flame bent his head the most malignant slanderer on seeing this scene would at once have understood that the hints thrown out by the oliviers were false everything in this couple their tone manner and way of looking at each other proved the purity of their private life The old maid showed the affection of rough but very genuine maternal feeling the young man submitted as a respectful son Yields to the tyranny of a mother The strange alliance seemed to be the outcome of a strong will acting constantly on a weak character On the fluid nature peculiar to the slavs Which while it does not hinder them from showing heroic courage in battle gives them an amazing incoherency of conduct a moral softness of which physiologists ought to try to detect the causes since physiologists are to political life what entomologists are to agriculture but if i die before i am rich said wenceslas dolefully die cried she oh i will not let you die i have enough life for both and i would have my blood injected into your veins if necessary Tears rose to Steinbock's eyes as he heard her vehement and artless speech. Do not be unhappy, my little Wenceslas, said Lisbeth with feeling. My cousin Hortense thought your seal quite pretty, I am sure, and I will manage to sell your bronze group. You will see. You will have paid me off. You will be able to do as you please. You will soon be free. Come, smile a little. I can never repay you, mademoiselle, said the exile and why not asked the peasant woman taking the livonian's part against herself because you not only fed me lodged me cared for me in my poverty but you also gave me strength you have made me what i am you have often been stern you have made me very unhappy i said the old maid Are you going to pour out all your nonsense once more about poetry and the arts, and to crack your fingers and stretch your arms while you spout about the ideal, and beauty and all your northern madness? Beauty is not to compare with solid pudding. And what am I? You have ideas in your brain? What is the use of them? I too have ideas. What is the good of all the fine things you may have in your soul, if you can make no use of them? Those who have ideas do not get so far as those who have none, if they don't know which way to go. Instead of thinking over your ideas, you must work. Now, what have you done while I was out?" "'What did your pretty cousin say?' "'Who told you she was pretty?' asked Lisbeth sharply, in a tone hollow with tiger-like jealousy. "'Why, you did.' "'That was only to see your face do you want to go trotting after petticoats you who are so fond of women well make them in bronze let us see a cast of your desires for you will have to do without the ladies for some little time yet and certainly without my cousin my good fellow she is not game for your bag that young lady wants a man with sixty thousand francs a year and has found him why your bed is not made she exclaimed looking into the adjoining room Poor dear boy, I quite forgot you. The sturdy woman pulled off her gloves, her cape and bonnet, and remade the artist's little camp-bed as briskly as any housemaid. This mixture of abruptness, of roughness even, with real kindness, perhaps accounts for the ascendancy Lisbeth had acquired over the man whom she regarded as her personal property. Is not our attachment to life based on its alternations of good and evil? If the Livonian had happened to meet Madame Marneffe instead of Lisbeth Fischer, he would have found a protectress whose complaisance must have led him into some boggy or discreditable path, where he would have been lost. He would certainly never have worked, nor the artist have been hatched out. Thus, while he deplored the old maid's grasping avarice, his reason bid him prefer her iron hand to the life of idleness and peril led by many of his fellow-countrymen. This was the incident that had given rise to the coalition of female energy and masculine feebleness, a contrast in union said not to be uncommon in Poland. End of chapter 6